guided by love, secured by hope, and made courageous by faith. We gather together at a moment of beginning, both learning and teaching, welcoming the injured and the healing, ever justice seeking. We bless this church with our love, hope, and faith. Those are the words of Reverend Eric Cherry. Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to see you. I'm Reverend Bob Lavalley. It's great to be here with our senior minister, Reverend Angela Herrera. And our worship leader today is John Eldridge. Welcome, John. Our DJ today is Technical Arts Director Chris Paul, and our tech team is Eric Renz-Whitmore, Teg Zuschlag, and Cheryl Romanek. We so appreciate your help. Couldn't do it without you. I want to thank Mia Noren for creating today's Time for All Ages. She's our Director of Religious Education, and I'll give a mini plug here to check out teaching this fall for religious education. It's great. And if you're visiting, we love it when you put your name and location in the chat so we can say hi and connect. Angela has something to share. I do. We've got somebody very special who's here for the first time this morning. I'm really pleased to introduce our new intern minister to you. This is Kristen Famula. Kristen just started this week and she is a graduate of ILIF School of Theology. She's here for one academic year full-time, so she'll be here a lot from now until June. Welcome, Kristen. I'm so grateful for the warm welcome I've received already, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know you all better and to continuing this journey together of exploring what it means to be a Unitarian Universalist. First Unitarian takes a lot of pride in being a teaching congregation for about the last 20 years since the early 2000s. And we are really, really happy to welcome you into the fold. Connection Sundays are coming up in person next Sunday, August 28th, and virtually on Sunday, September 11th at 10 a.m. Connection Sundays are an opportunity to find your community within our larger church community. You can visit over 30 different church groups and committees at tables or breakout rooms to find out more about what they do and to sign up to participate. This is the one time of the year you can also sign up for covenant groups too, so be sure to come to the courtyard next Sunday morning or mark your calendar for September 11th virtual event. Design a first Unitarian Universalist social justice t-shirt. Artists of all ages are invited to submit a design for the t-shirt we can wear to community events representing First Unitarian. Sales of the winning design chosen at this Saturday's social justice auction will benefit the Social Justice Council and its programs. Designs are due this Tuesday, August 23rd by noon. Email Kenny Jones with the link in the chat for more information. And be sure to buy tickets for Saturday's auction on our website visit the link in the chat. There will be live music, food from Papa Felipe's, and lots of great things to bid on. You can also buy your tickets at the door, so please don't miss it. And now we have a leadership moment from Marilyn Boyle, chair of our Leadership Succession Committee. Good morning. I'm so glad I can talk with you today about the Leadership Succession Committee, or LSC. You may not be aware of how people come into leadership positions at First Unitarian, and I'm here to help you understand how it happens. 
First of all, there are a lot of committees and affinity groups in the church which are completely voluntary and people can join for as long as they want to. Each group selects its own leaders and may be quite informal. You'll get to learn about these groups at Connection Sundays on August 28th and September 11th. You can decide what groups sound interesting and which ones you want to participate in. Then you can sign up for mailing lists and find out about meeting dates and times. There are also some committees that are designated by the bylaws as standing committees. The members of these committees are elected at the church's annual meeting in January and serve specified terms, usually two years. The LSC is responsible for identifying and nominating candidates for standing committees and submitting them to the board. And then the membership will vote on these at the annual meeting. We put forth candidates for vacancies on the 11 member board of directors, the five member endowment committee and the seven member leadership succession committee. So far, it looks like we'll need three new board members and one or two people for the leadership succession committee next year. As our church moves toward embracing the eighth principle, we're looking for a diverse multicultural slate of candidates. These positions are open to all church members and we'll have details and job descriptions at Connection Sundays. So stop by and talk with us if you have a willingness to serve in this way. We'd love to talk with you. Blessed is the fire that burns deep in the soul. It is the flame of the human spirit touched by the mystery of life. It is the fire of reason. It is the fire of compassion. It is the fire of community.
We are Unitarian Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Good morning. I'm Mia Noren, the Director of Religious Education here at First Unitarian. Uh, today, I want to share a story with you about how we choose to get to the places we want to be. You may recognize some of these characters. Our story is Henry Hikes to Fitchburg by D.B. Johnson, who is the author and the illustrator. One summer day, Henry and his friend decided to go to Fitchburg to see the country. I'll walk, said Henry. It's the fastest way to travel. I'll work, Henry's friend said, until I have the money to buy a ticket to ride the train to Fitchburg. We'll see who gets there first. His friend waved. Enjoy your walk, he said. Henry walked down the road to Fitchburg. Enjoy your work, he called back. Henry's friend filled the wood box in Mrs. Alcott's kitchen, 10 cents. Henry hopped from rock to rock across the Sudbury River. His friend swept out the post office, five cents. Henry carved a walking stick, 25 miles to Fitchburg. Henry's friend pulled all the weeds in Mr. Hawthorne's garden. 15 cents. Henry put ferns and flowers in a book and pressed them. His friend painted the fence in front of the courthouse. 10 cents. Henry walked on stone walls. Henry's friend moved the bookcases in Mr. Emerson's study. Henry climbed a tree, 18 miles to Fitchburg. His friend carried water to the cows grazing on the grass in town, five cents. Henry made a raft and paddled up the Nashua River. Henry's friend cleaned out Mrs. Thoreau's chicken house, 10 cents. Henry crossed a swamp and found a bird's nest in the grass, 12 miles to Fitchburg. His friend carried flour from the mill to the village baker, 20 cents. Henry found a honey tree. Henry's friend ran to the station to buy his ticket to Fitchburg, 90 cents. Henry jumped into a pond, seven miles to Fitchburg. His friend sat on the train in a tangle of people. Henry ate his way through a blackberry patch. Henry's friend got off the train at Fitchburg, dust as the sun was setting. Henry took a shortcut, one mile to Fitchburg. His friend was sitting in the moonlight when Henry arrived. The train was faster, he said. Henry took a small pail from his pack. I know, he smiled. I stopped for blackberries. Did you recognize any of these characters? The author of this story was inspired by a person named Henry David Thoreau and something he wrote in one of his books. 
Henry grew up as a Unitarian, and many people from the 1850s until today are inspired by his thoughts, ideas, and writings. Let's pause the chat for a few moments now for the meditation time. And I invite everybody to take a breath. Breathe in, expanding the space around your heart. Exhale and see if you can release a little tension. Inhale, expanding. Exhale, giving your full weight to whatever is supporting you. Whatever you might have in your hands or on your mind, go ahead and lay it down for a minute. Lay any burdens down. Just be you for right now. A human merely being, as the poet E.E. E. Cummings says. And as you breathe in again, breathe in peace. The peace of this hour, the peace beneath all chaos peace that is always there, deep down. Breathe in peace. And as you breathe out, breathe out love. The love within you, the love beneath your chaos. It's a love that is always there, deep down. Can you see yourself right now, just as you are, this human merely being in the place where your body is right now in a room, in a structure of some kind, probably, in a neighborhood, in the city, in the Southwest? Are you looking at yourself now in context Zooming out in the Southwest, on a continent, on a planet, in a universe. Isn't it beautiful sometimes to just be a small part of something larger? You don't have to be everything. You don't have to do everything. Everything moves around in cycles of rebirth and refraction, like the movement of a kaleidoscope. Look how beautiful it is. See how it becomes more beautiful yet. When we breathe in peace, breathe out love, seeing ourselves, seeing one another, as a precious little part of the whole. 
continue in silence. We are not isolated beings. We are connected in mystery to the universe, to our community, and to one another. Please use the chat bar to share what's on your heart and to support others to share on what's in their hearts. If you're not able to write in the chat bar, please contact the church office or send an email to caring at uuabq.org. The video will prompt us to share our joys and then our concerns. I'm listening, I am listening, Spirit speak to me. I'm listening, I am listening, Spirit speak to me. My hands are wide open, eyes are wide open, to see what I may be. I'm listening, I am listening, spirit, speak to me. I'm listening, I am listening, spirit, speak to me.
eyes are wide open to see what I may be. I'm listening. listening. I am listening. listening. Spirit, speak to me. I'm listening. I am listening. In this moment of silence, speak to me. I can hear the voices of all my I'm listening singing I am listening howling spirit we are all calling into the wind my hands are wide open and oh the trail eyes are wide open to see these loved ones, thoughts, prayers, gratitudes, all these we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. And to these I add also little Esme Magnuson, child in our congregation who was in the hospital this week with asthma. We pray for her healing, for her wellness. We pray for her family, companioning her through this time. We lift up Holly Reyna, whose mother has entered hospice. May she get the care that she needs. May she be comfortable and feel supported. May all of these friends know that they are loved. May they feel held and remembered. May love surround them and encourage them and bring them peace. And may love pour down on all who have unspoken prayers this morning, all who are coping with any kind of challenge or struggle, any suffering. May love pour down on all who have gathered here in this virtual space. May love bring them peace. We pray also for the community of Albuquerque and especially for those who are unhoused right now, especially for all who find themselves caught up in the city's new wave of enforcement, all who were pushed out of Coronado Park this week, all who are evicted from corners and sidewalks without a better plan. May the new funding and programs to address homelessness be effective. They're not in place yet. As people are forced to move, there is just not a place for everyone to go. There are wait lists and barriers still. So may the new plans be implemented swiftly and well. May all people thrive. It's an ambitious prayer. That is why we must pray it. May all people thrive everywhere. It feels almost impossible. Therefore, it certainly can only happen if we set our minds, hearts, and spirits to it. 
May all people thrive. May our planet thrive. May we help to make it so through our manner of being in this world. Amen. Peace be with you. Our reading this morning is titled Gate A4 by the Arab American poet, Naomi Shihab Nye. Wandering around the Albuquerque airport terminal after learning my flight had been delayed for hours, I heard an announcement. If anyone in the vicinity of Gate AA understands Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well, one pauses these days. Gate A4 was my own gate, I went there, an older woman in full traditional Palestinian embroidered dress, just like my grandma wore, was crumpled on the floor, wailing. Help, said the flight attendant. Talk to her. What is her problem? 
We told her the flight was going to be late and she did this. I stooped to put my arm around the woman and spoke haltingly. Shudawa, Shudbiktwa, Habiti, Stani Shwe, Min Fadlik, Shubit Sewe. The minute she heard any word she knew, however poorly used, she stopped crying. She thought the flight had been canceled entirely. She needed to be in El Paso for major medical treatment the next day. I said, no, we're fine. You'll get there just later. Who's picking you up? Let's call him. We called her son. I spoke with him in English. I told him I would stay with his mother till we got on the plane and ride next to her. She talked to him. Then we called her other sons just for the fun of it. Then we called my dad and he and she spoke for a while in Arabic and found out, of course, they had 10 shared friends. Then I thought, just for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I know and let them chat with her? This all took up two hours. She was laughing a lot by then, telling of her life, patting my knee, answering questions. She had pulled a sack of homemade mamouled cookies, little powdered sugar, crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts from her bag, and was offering them to all the women at the gate. To my amazement, not a single woman declined one. It was like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the mom from California, the lovely woman from Laredo, we were all covered with the same powdered sugar and smiling. There is no better cookie. And then the airline broke out some free apple juice from the huge coolers and two little girls from our flight ran around serving it as they were covered with powdered sugar too. And I noticed that my new best friend, by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant poking out of her bag, some medicinal thing with green furry leaves. Such an old country tradition, always carry a plant, always stay rooted to somewhere. And I looked around the gate of late and weary ones and I thought, this is the world I want to live in, the shared world. Not a single person in that gate, once the crying of confusion stopped, seemed apprehensive about any other person. They took the cookies. I wanted to hug all of those other women too. This still can happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. Naomi Shihad and I, if you happen to look at the sign in front of the church at Carlisle and Comanche this past week, you may be expecting this to be a sermon about getting lost. And that was indeed the plan until some recent tragic events in the Muslim community here in Albuquerque. And given that some of the old tired cliches about Islam were getting thrown around, it seemed like a good time to talk about Islam. And I still think that getting lost is a worthy thing to preach about, and I'll be doing that in November for sure. And I want to thank Susan Peck, especially, for being really flexible and supportive with this. She does an enormous amount of work to anticipate how the music can support the spiritual messages of any given sermon. And even with the last minute change of direction, she got it done as usual. So thank you, Susan. So appreciate it. I'd like to start with a poem by Jalaluddin Rumi. Out beyond fields of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. 
ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. Short poem by Rumi, and that was uh, translated by Coleman Barks. And if folks were at last week's sermon <clears throat> service, you probably heard me say Coleman Barks is a English professor in Georgia, uh, and he translates from his social location, and and he does take some liberties. So I love what he does sometimes, but it's important to acknowledge that he makes departures from the original intention. So let's keep that in mind. So Rumi was born in the province of Balkh which is in the northern part of what is now Afghanistan. And many of you here know that I spent a year in Afghanistan as a civilian contractor as part of a war effort that had unmistakable religious overtones. The 9-11 attackers framed their murder plot in theological terms. The Taliban, who were attempting to run Afghanistan when the U.S. came for Al-Qaeda, the Taliban are also a pseudo-religious political and drug trafficking organization. They wrap themselves in a perversion of Islam to justify their organized crime. And many people in the U.S. took the bait. Some folks didn't know anything about Islam, but what they saw in the Homeland Security Pulp Fiction shows, like 24, and they thought we were fighting a religious war. And through this, Islam, even more than before, became the enemy and the other. So here's a weird thing to say. I'll hazard a guess that I may be one of the only people in this congregation who has been attacked by Islamic extremists. And I, as an aside, it is a really weird thing. I remember sitting in a bunker in Afghanistan during a rocket attack, rockets were coming in, and realizing, just dawning on me, holy cow, whoever shot that thing would be just delighted if it killed me. What a weird, what a strange realization. And I remember thinking, Dang, if they only met me, they'd see how charming I am. Like, what's not to like? But it doesn't work that way. Anybody, somebody else might use being attacked in a way, in that way, as a reason to justify their Islamophobia. But I don't. It's precisely because of my experiences that I reject extremism in all its forms, be it the willing twisting of the idea of jihad or white nationalists who claim to be protecting our country, but who are just bullies with childish notions of power and masculinity. It's all of the same cloth with some interesting variations depending on history and colonialism and race and capitalism and so on. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. Prior to being becoming a, a parish minister, I worked as a chaplain in a hospital, which means I did this really weird thing. I would walk into the rooms of six strangers and invite them to talk about their most personal beliefs and hopes and fears. Really weird thing. And I worked at a Catholic hospital, but we got patients of all faiths and no faiths. So just like in our regular Sunday welcome, I ministered to them whether they believe in God all of the time or some of the time or none of the time. So one time I met a patient who was a self-taught Christian preacher, self-taught. <clears throat> and he was friendly and kind of boisterous, and I let him talk at length about his half-baked theology. And then he started to talk about other religions. He said, Shinto and Buddhism are so far off, they just don't have a clue. And Islam, 
Muhammad is an animal. He said Muhammad is an animal and Islam is the other. He's just another ignorant guy blaming the wrong people for his misery. And he's hardly alone. The travel bans, the refusal to take refugees, the spontaneous violence against folks who look stereotypically Muslim. It's all of an ignorant and bigoted piece. Islam, real Islam, is a lovely religion. It's got all the issues that any major religion have has because all religions are human creations and bound to be flawed the way that we are all flawed. But one of the things that I like about Islam is the way that Muslims express their faith in daily practices. It's a religion marked by doing. For example, Muslims pray five times a day and these prayer times are tied to the sun. There's a lovely connection to the natural world here. The times are before sunrise, when the light that precedes the sunrise begins, then noon, then in the late afternoon. And this late afternoon time can be determined technically when the shadow of an object is twice the length of the object itself. Isn't that charming? Twice the length of the object itself. Then sunset, and finally when the twilight ends. There's a connection to the rhythm of the sun, of nature, that must be really comforting. It must be, must feel grounding to watch the day roll by in that way. I've lived in Muslim countries like Afghanistan and Djibouti, where I had lots of chances to talk to actual Muslims. And by Muslims, I mean average folks trying to get on with their lives who also practice Islam. And so one practice they have that absolutely amazes me is Ramadan. And Ramadan is a month of fasting. From dawn to sunset, the fasters don't eat, don't drink, even water. They don't smoke. They don't have sex. They can't even curse. That part, the cursing part, would be really hard for me. Ramadan occurs during the ninth month of the Muslim calendar, and that calendar is tied to the moon cycle. So Ramadan happens at a different time every year. The next Ramadan actually is starts March 22nd, 2023. And this movement of the date throughout the year means that the length of the daily fast varies from year to year. And also depending on which half of the of the earth you're in, up, you know, north or south. So in the winter, the northern winter, days are short, and so the fast is short. When I was in Afghanistan, Ramadan happened to be in late summer, so not only were the days very long, but it was in the high 90s every day. And believe me, there is not a lot of air conditioning for the average Afghan. And I remember talking to an Afghan delivery driver during that long, hot Ramadan, and I told him how much I sympathized with him for having such a long fast every day. And he dismissed me with a smile. He told me that, in fact, the fact that it was hard energized him. He said that he felt powered up in his body and his soul. And I thought of that when I saw Afghans doing heavy road work in the hot sun, taking water into their mouths and somehow having the willpower to spit it out instead of swallowing. And I thought of that when the sunset would come and the Muslims who worked as cooks in the dining halls would sit cross-legged in a circle on pieces of cardboard set on the ground behind the chow, chow hall, breaking their fast with rice and dates from, from steam trays. This community moment of breaking the fast is a big part of the spirit of Ramadan. And like many Muslim ritual, rituals, it gains power because it's shared. 
Islam is a global religion, and these rituals collect Muslims to the larger community all over the world. A woman who wears the hijab or headscarf is participating in sisterhood with Muslim women all over the world. So, and while I'm on the topic of headscarves, I can't help but notice that in the fundamentalist Muslim countries, men make women wear the hijab whether they want to or not. And in Western countries like France, men make women take off the hijab whether they want to or not. So maybe the problem isn't the hijab, maybe it's the men. Anyways, as a practice of that global community, when Muslims pray these five prayers a day, they all point themselves towards Mecca while they do that. And conveniently, there are now iPhone apps that tell a person praying the direction towards Mecca if they find themselves in some strange, unfamiliar place. So for the record, let's check this out. Mecca is in hmm, that direction, if you're sitting in my office. <laughs> so all Muslims five times a day orient themselves in the same direction. And it's human to want to be part of something that is bigger than us. And Muslims do that actively from before sunrise to after sunset. And this reminds me of my problem with the phrase, I'm spiritual but not religious. I used to say that myself over the years, but I don't anymore, because now that lands for me, I hear it as, I'm going it alone. Sure, I have beliefs, but I don't want to practice them with other people. And for me, that means there is neither the support nor the accountability of a community. When I acknowledge my own fallibility and limitations, I see that I need my faith community, however imperfect, to guide me. Now, as I said, because they are human institutions, all religions are flawed, but when we find one that shares our values, it can really help us. The regular folks I know who are practicing Islam tell me that it helps them and I take, it, take them at their word. So we see that Islam is very much about the practices. It's an embodied religion. And that means that as a practitioner of Islam in a country like the US, to do that is to be very visible. They cannot pass as Christian even if they wanted to, they are seen. Now as Unitarian Universalists going about our days, there's nothing particular that distinguishes us from the crowd. A person of faith who happens to be Muslim must carry the markers of the belief with them everywhere, to the airport, to the job interview and to beyond. And because of the othering of Islam, that places Muslims at risk everywhere I go. Now I have a weakness. Uh, well, actually, I have a lot of weaknesses, but I have this one that I'm going to talk about. I like to listen to bad theology radio. In August, I drove from here to Cape Cod and back, and I got to hear a lot of bad theology radio. And I can't listen for long because it drives me bonkers, but in short doses, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. So the other day, I heard an alleged pastor talking about Islam. He's a Christian pastor, and he was trying to make the point that Islam is a violent religion as opposed to Christianity. And his argument was that Muhammad, as the founder of Islam, was also a leader of the Islamic army and in fact conquered many territories, whereas Jesus was never the leader of an army. <sighs> so yes, Islam has expanded through conquest since its founding in 610 AD, particularly in its early years, but it's less often discussed 
that as they gained territory, they did not insist that the local populations convert to Islam. In fact, the Islamic leaders preferred that their troops be housed away from the local population so as to avoid a cultural and religious intermingling. So this whole canard of Islam, Islam is violent and Christianity is peaceful is really the pot calling the kettle black. Christianity has more than its share of violent expansions. From the Crusades to the Christian doctrine of discovery, that's where the Pope gave God's blessing to the takings of lands occupied by non-Christians and the enslavement of those non-Christians. If you want to be truly appalled, try reading Christopher Columbus's journals, all in the name of Christianity. And like every religion, Islam has its divisions. One of the big splits in Islam is between the Sunni and Shia sects. This has its roots in a political moment when the founder of Islam passed away, when Muhammad passed away. So one group, the Sunnis, believed that Muhammad had not chosen a successor and they had their own person in mind. The Shia, on the other hand, believed that the prophet designated his cousin and son-in-law, Ali, to be his successor. So this, of course, is just the beginning of a much more complex break that had cultural and theological impacts. Currently, about 90% of Muslims are Sunni and the remainder are Shia. Of course, the other two Abrahamic religions, Judaism and Christianity, have had their share of splits. So about 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed these, his 95 theses to the door of a Roman Catholic Church and Protestantism, Protestantism, Protestantism was off. The Reformation was off with all its flavors. And I could talk about how John Calvin burnt the early Unitarian Michael Servetus at the stake. But let me assure you that these splits among Protestants, among so-called Christians, have not been friendly. And I want to say, I love how Unitarian Universalism embraces and celebrates these kinds of theological splits while holding to a core set of values, to our principles. And that keeps us together. So to use the tech jargon, our celebration of theological diversity is a feature, not a bug. If religion is really about learning how to be human, Islam is just another way of being human, of making meaning. But the fact is that Islam has been racialized, made into another race to discriminate against, like black and brown folks. Somehow this incredibly diverse religious practice has been added as another tier to the caste system. So back to my patient, the one who didn't care much for Muhammad. After he said that vile thing, and I picked my job off the floor. I quoted the Quran to him. I said, if you kill one person, it is if you have killed all of humanity. That's from the Quran. And I left it at that. It's not the job of the chaplain to argue theology with the patients, no matter how bigoted they are. Actually, that was a very nice thing to say, even though it was my thought at my time. I think, in fact, a better response for me is set by the example of one, one more Islamic practice that I want to tell you about. And in this ritual, when a child is born, the first thing that the father does is whisper the call to prayer into the right ear of the newborn. And that way, the tiny Muslim baby begins a life of prayer. As we think about Islam and Islamophobia, let's ask ourselves, what were the prayers 
that were whispered in our ears when we were babes, both literally and metaphorically. And perhaps more importantly, what are the prayers that we are now whispering into the ears of the newborns behind, around us? What are the prayers that we are whispering into the ears of the newborns around us? And I include my poor, limited patient in the category of newborn. What kind of prayers are they? May we always whisper prayers of peace, prayers of compassion, and prayers of kindness. Assalamu alaikum and blessed be. We take our offering with these words by Donna Martini. We are like mental and emotional magnets that pull in, walk into, and attach ourselves to the people and circumstances that match the energy we are generating. In a state of happiness and thankfulness for what we have, this energy immediately sets us up to bring more of the energy we want. Family Promise of Albuquerque, our Change for the Future recipient, for June through August, empowers families in Albuquerque and Rio Rancho who are at risk of homelessness or currently experiencing homelessness. You can make an offering online by checking, checking on, clicking on the link that we'll be putting in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include change for the future on the memo line, if applicable. We now take the offering.
What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque, and thanks on behalf of Family Promise, an organization that's been supported by this church for many years. So whether you're staying around to go to the breakout room and talk about talk with your fellow congregants or getting out of your day, hang out with family or friends, we have a discussion question to suggest. And that question is, what ritual could we Unitarian Universalists do five times a day to connect to our values? What ritual could we Unitarian Universalists do five times a day to connect to our values? Something to chew on. Before we extinguish our chalices, let's do our pachum greeting. And I invite you to shift your Zoom view from, from speaker to gallery so you can see everybody's face. Maybe turn on your camera if you're comfortable with it. If not, that's fine. Gaze at the faces of your community, one hand on your heart, the other reaching out. Blessed be. Let's extinguish our chalices. May we always whisper prayers of peace, prayers of compassion, prayers of kindness. Go in peace and practice radical love. <laughs>